welcome to Gunfire Cast. John and I recorded this episode last week. I apologize for not getting it up and keeping our weekly episode streak going, but uh, here it is now. The reason I'm recording this before I play the episode is I want to let you know whenever I talk a little bit about knife training later on in this episode, I'm talking about doing it with training knives, plastic or some other type of training knife, and I didn't specify that. don't want anybody out there thinking, uh, but you'll get the picture here later on. Just want to let you know that the Gunfire Cast app is now available in the iTunes App Store for all of you that have Apple devices. It is available for your iPod Touch, iPhone, and iPad. So go get it. By buying the app, you'll be supporting Gunfighter Cast and getting something in return. So thanks for doing that, and here's the show. Hello and welcome to Gunfighter Cast. This is episode number 63. I'm Daniel Shaw here with my co-host, John McGregor. Hey, John. Hello, Daniel. How you doing today? I'm doing good. All right. Uh, I have over 15 years of experience as a U.S. Marine infantryman, and John has over 20 years of experience as a law enforcement officer. Together, we have almost 30 years of experience as firearms instructors and 32 years experience in concealed carry off-duty. The purpose of this show is to discuss firearms, equipment, training, and preparation as it relates to self-defense from a military, law enforcement, and a civilian perspective. And welcome to the show. Uh, first thing, we're going to jump right on into segment one. Yeah, we still have segments. We're on a roll, two episodes in a row. A little bit of feedback from the episodes before. This one will be from episode 61, where John and I talked about 556 being used on whitetail deer. Of course, we answered a lot of other questions and talked about some other things during that show. I got a little bit of feedback from a couple of people on shooting deer with 223 or 556, and uh, a lot of people didn't recommend doing it. Like I said in that show, I am pretty much the worst hunter ever. Don't have a whole lot of experience in it. I know 556 does a pretty good job of killing folks, like grown men. There are probably some better rounds out there for shooting deer and aiming at the head. There's been a lot of cases where people run across a mangled deer, missing a jaw, missing a face, died a slow death, may have never been found. That way, you know, the meat was wasted. The animal just died an inhumane death. So pretty much the best place to aim from what I've gathered from other hunters or people that do hunt. Aim for that heart and lungs. Take that, that shot. It's going to be the most humane and use a caliber that is recommended by most hunters or hunters associations, I guess you could say. I just wanted to clear that up. I don't want anybody out there with a twenty two trying to take headshots on deer. Deer runs away and dies a week later and hates life for that entire week. And nobody gets to eat it. That would suck. That's uh, pretty much all we got for segment uno. Let's not take a break. That's kind of quick. Let's jump right into segment two. For this episode, we decided we're going to talk a little bit about what we carry other than just a firearm, but uh, the other tools that you may need to have with you. It's a good idea to not just have a pistol with you, uh, but have you know other things that you could use for different uh, situations. Maybe escalation of force, you know, help you in some kind of aftermath of some kind of attack or shooting or just reporting a crime. Being a good witness, uh, John, I'll let you go ahead and kick this one off, man. What do you uh, what do you carry with you other than just your your firearm? We don't need to say sig something. Oh, but I'm you just, just did. But you you can say sig something if you want. <laughs> well played. No, I think uh, I think the intent is that surprise. We're going to tell you that you should carry a gun. So I, I don't think we're really going to get too deep into that, unless I'm mistaken. Uh, looking at some of the other stuff. Well, I'll just hit an item and then I'll kick it back to you. You can give some other item. But first one I'll mention is the uh, cell phone. I think it's uh, you know if you listen to the Road Gunner podcast, one of his little pieces of advice is you know always carry a loaded cell phone when you're carrying a gun. I think we touched a couple things uh, in our, when we were talking about our segment last time, you know, a couple different uses for your cell phone. First of all, it's important to have for, you know, like we've stated before in uh, one of our previous episodes, is that if you do get yourself into some type of situation where you've 
you know, you've got to use your self-defense tools. Always beneficial if you get kind of the first call into the police to uh, explain the situation. And again, if you, if you didn't hear those episodes, what I mean by that is not necessarily that you get right on the phone and say everything that happened. If, you know, you're in some type of situation, somebody threatens you, you draw your gun or whatever, and let's say that that's all that needs to happen, the people back down, run away or whatever, it's still going to be beneficial for you to get on the phone and make that first impression with the police, let them know what happened. Because if you don't, you don't know if those other people have got on the phone, given your description, and and, you know, maybe you're lying to the police saying that you tried to rob them and then police are going to respond. They're going to find you fitting the description. You've got a gun. You're going to kind of be behind the curve there as opposed to in trying to explain to the police that you're actually the victim in this. So by you calling in and the other person calling in, correct me if I'm wrong here. You know, you've got more information on this stuff than I have. I think you worked the course a little bit, too. But the burden of guilt falls on a different party. Not how it works, something like that. If, if I call and say, hey, this guy was just doing this. I had to draw my weapon. He's at my front door. He ran off. If you didn't call, someone else can call. And say, hey, he's got a gun at the door. He's out here waving it and said he's going to be threatening me with it. Then they show up and you do have that firearm that he described and everything else and described what you were wearing and everything. Uh, now the burden of guilt. Is that the correct terminology I'm using? Burden of proof? I've heard something similar to, I think, what you're saying. And one of the pieces of advice that I've heard uh, in different shows and so forth is that you want to get on the phone first because the first person to call in is called the complainant. Yep. Therefore, you know, the other person will be the suspect. I don't put a lot of stock in that particular aspect of it. First of all, Let's say, and I can only work on, you know, jurisdictions I've, I've had experience with, but if you were to call something in, you're going to be on a dispatch screen, you're going to be called the reporting party. That being said, the officer is eventually going to, you know, do an investigation and so forth. And, and even if at the onset of the encounter, you know, maybe it appears like, let's say you're the guy who defended yourself. You didn't call in. The bad guy's called in. Now I'm the, the officer that shows up. I mean, regardless what that dispatch screen says, obviously I'm going to be concerned that, you know, I've gotten this report of an armed person and now I find a person matching the description You know, I make contact. I find that that person is in fact armed. So I'm kind of going down a road thinking that, you know, you might be the bad guy. There's still going to be an investigation done. It's good advice because it makes it, um, initially the police are going to have an impression that you're the bad guy and you've kind of got to work from beyond that. But when the investigation is complete and, you know, I talk to you and I get your side of the story, kind of what I'm trying to say in a long-winded kind of thing is that the report's not being written at the same time as all this is happening. So I'm going to do some type of investigation. And in the course of that investigation, talking to everybody, that's when we're going to determine who the victim is and who the complainant is. Not just because, it's not just because you called first, you get to be the complainant and the other person has to be the suspect. It's going to be based on the results of investigation, talking to all the parties present. And, you know, unfortunately there are you know, there are certain situations where you get into a uh, a he said, she said, or a he said, he said, where you can't prove either option. You can't disprove either option. Therefore, you can't establish probable cause in either direction. Is that uh, is that kind of what uh, what you were referring to? Or uh, Yeah, I think so. I think you covered it pretty good. 
It's just, uh, there was a, a situation in uh, the book that I'm reading by Masada Ayub where a similar thing happened. It was uh, someone uh, had a problem with a neighbor. The neighbor was threatening him. He The, the good guy neighbor uh, had to bring out a firearm. There was an altercation. He went back in thinking nothing was no big deal, solved the problem. Everything's over. Next thing you know, the police show up. And it got a little bit nastier because of some other things and they had a firearm present and stuff. They could just turn really bad. Anything, anytime you ever have to, I'd say escalate your force, anything above verbal, then if you go, if you're doing the shout and it ends there, that's great. Shout, shove, shoot, whatever you got to do to fight them off and escalating your force. If you go to the shoving, you need to call it in. You need to report it. This just happened, altercation with this individual. I had to defend myself in this way. He committing this crime against me tried to rob me, he assaulted me, whatever. I will sign the complaint. Uh, I need an officer down here to take my statement. Not always, but uh, that kind of sounds like good guy talk to me. Mm-hmm. Just, I think it's a good way to cover your cover yourself and first do the right thing. Second, port it. All right, cell phone them with it. And we talked in that other episode about you could use it to hit the button and record real quickly, you know, what your description of the person was. Snap a photo of a license plate. Snap a photo of the individual if you have a chance. You know, it's uh, a lot of tools come on a little cell phone. Yep, definitely. So, uh, what other tools do you carry besides a cell phone? Uh, well, I always carry a knife, and being in Japan, that's pretty much all I can can carry. Uh, I'm not supposed to carry it out in town, but I, I usually do. I think you got to have a knife, it, just for a lot of things. I, I carry my what I call my utility knife. It's old CRKT I've had for many years, and I just can't seem to break it. I love the knife. It doesn't hold an edge worth anything. I, can, I sharpen it every once in a while. I don't care if it's really sharp. It's not a Gensu cutter. It's not particularly a, a big, you know, slice and dice fighting type knife it's a good stabber you know it'll cut a little bit i use it more for its utility i'd pull it out and cut things all the time pry things open the other day i locked my keys in the car and i use it to open my doors to shove it down in the uh the door jam and, and pried my door open a little bit to get a clothes hanger in you know my knife didn't care it likes that kind of stuff that's what i use my knife for all the time not just for defense but if i do have to use it for defense then you know it's there and i can pull it out open it one-handed uh, and I can fight with it. I am not the most accomplished knife fighter. I do believe that just by saying it's like on the firearm. Just because you have a gun on you doesn't mean you know how to use it properly. And you have it all gotten in your head. You know, you've trained and you're just, as soon as you sign that thing at the store and you bring that gun home, just, uh, you're basically John Wayne on wheels. That's not how it works. I think the knife is the same thing. A lot of people talk about, well, you should have a knife and one in each pocket. So if one hand's occupied, like, that's great. But can you fight with a left-handed? Can you fight with that knife right-handed? Do you know how to fight with a knife? Uh, do you know how to go unarmed against a knife in case your knife is you know, taken from you? I think there's more to it than just put it in your pocket. Uh, I train with fighting with a knife every once in a while. I've got some friends around here that are pretty good and we mess around with uh, some fake knives every once in a while and you know, just work on the skills and keep them a little bit fresh but I, I think it's important to have that knife but also know how to use it a little bit and choose a good knife. What do you think? Well, I was just going to ask you, um, being in the military, do you receive training in fighting with a knife? Yeah, we do. We, we get trained for fighting with a knife and uh, uh, disarming someone with a knife. Uh, if we're unarmed against a knife, techniques for that. And it's not an end-all, be-all, like just because you go through the training and, you know, you do it every once in a while, you know, a few times a year uh, that you've got it. But, you know, I have, you know, picked up techniques that uh, I think are going to work. Uh, may not always work exactly as how we practice them, but I'll be able to fit a few of the pieces into a fight that would probably help me out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on the law enforcement side, uh, I think it, like most things, it uh, it'll depend on the department you're working for. Some places will provide training and allow you to carry a knife as a 
a tool for kind of like weapons retention or something. If somebody's trying to get your gun, you can go for your knife and so forth. Uh, my department is not one of those departments. And I would say mine's probably like a majority of the departments that they don't provide the training. Therefore, they don't authorize you to carry a knife as a weapon. So we'll carry we'll carry a knife as kind of a, a seatbelt cutter or more of a tool. But as far as being trained to use it as a weapon, being authorized to do that, uh, that's not the case where, where I currently work. And I've been outside of outside of you know my primary job I've had some training in again those weapons retention kind of things using that as you know somebody's trying to get your gun you access your knife with your support hand and slash at the at the bad guy or do something to get him off your gun it, maybe it's just the the training level that I'm at because I, I like you I don't consider myself a knife fighter anyway but I don't find that those techniques work best for me I've had you know some other training both on the law enforcement kind of defensive tactics side and outside of that I did some Krav Maga and I find that um, first of all, if somebody's trying to grab my gun, in, instead of kind of either, you know, I've got one hand on the gun trying to protect that, instead of actually attacking the threat, it takes me, you know, half a second, two seconds to to get the knife into my other hand before I can do anything. I just found it's, you know, for me personally, I think it's more effective to not at that point try and access another tool, but to kind of get on the attack and, and start doing something rather than trying to access another weapon. And you raised a good point too. I mean, you're already in a bad enough situation. Generally, the way you carry your pistol, your primary hand's going to have to be trying to keep the pistol in the holster. So everything you're doing, you're doing with your support hand, which puts you at an advantage anyway. Add that to a weapon system that you don't practice with a lot can be kind of a recipe for disaster. I was just going to kind of echo your comments too. I don't, you know, I've heard people and, you know, know some people that'll carry those without mentioning brands, you know, like a $500 knife or something. And I'm not one of those people. In fact, I might have the same knife you have. I've got a uh, Columbia River knife and tool. It's not the, uh, I don't think it's the full M16 version. It's like that, but it's one that, um, you know, we've got probably, it's a chain store, EMS, Eastern Mountain Sports. You can buy it in there for like 50 bucks. So it's nothing high speed, but by the same token, it's nothing that I've got any concerns about prying with it, you know, slicing up a bunch of stuff. I'm not concerned about hurting it because, you know, if I do wear it out or break it, I'm just going to get another one as opposed to a $500 knife with a super platinum finish that I'm going to be worried about, you know, scratching or getting dirty if I actually have to use the thing. So I think we're very similar in uh, the knife carrying aspect, more of a tool than a utility tool than a self-defense, but it's definitely uh, in there as kind of a last ditch kind of thing. Yeah. You know, before we move on to something else, and we, we get on a little bit of training with it. If you're interested in training more with a knife, what we used to do was use OC spray and uh, white t-shirts. You put basically moleskin around the outside of the knife and then put red lipstick on it. You fight each other. If someone gets a cut, you see the red lipstick on their chest, arm, or whatever. Somebody hits that with OC. Now that spot burns, you keep fighting with it. That's pretty effective training tool. If you don't have the OC or pepper spray, then that's okay. Just use the uh, red lipstick and the white t-shirts. You'll see how often you get cut. And I think that's what I heard a long time ago is the first rule of knife fighting is be ready to get cut because you're going to get cut. Then later on, they kind of got more advanced in uh, the last place I was at. And they had these uh, little stun gun knives that all around the outside, if you made contact with someone, it, it shocked them. And it wasn't a, a huge shock, like a taser shock, but it was enough to know that you got hit and to where you didn't really want it to happen. You know, 
know, just and even though you knew it wasn't really going to hurt too bad, just the fact that it was there and you were going to get an electric shock, you didn't defend this knife attack good enough, then uh, it, it made you think a little bit more about that knife coming at you than, you know, a plastic knife normally would. But those are some, you know, things you can do with your buddies to get your wives to laugh at you because you're out cutting each other with plastic knives that with lipstick on them. <laughs> I guess you, that's a good way to come home with lipstick on you and not get in trouble. There you go. Just a few ideas. That's what we do sometimes. And uh, like I said, I haven't done it in a while. I've got a friend of mine here who uh, is, is big into knives. Me and him mess around. We talked about doing a video for Gunfighter Cast, but just uh, getting the time and getting him motivated to come to the, the mat room and get a camera set up. It just hasn't happened yet, but maybe one day. So cell phone, knives. Excellent. I mentioned the OC spray in there, so might as well talk about some pepper spray. <laughs> uh, carry some pepper spray if you want. You can throw it on a keychain. They got some small ones, some big ones. They got some flashlights that are flashlights slash pepper spray. Got all kind of crazy stuff out there with pepper spray. And, you know, it's a good alternative. If you have to go to a place where you can't carry a pistol and you know you, you're not going to carry it in there, then, you know, have some pepper spray on you. If that's allowed, then it might be, a you know, a good option to move up that escalation of force so you don't have to use that firearm if you do have it with you. Uh, there's a lot of different brands out there. I would do, do your research and you know, see which one's uh, better than the others. I don't have a whole lot of knowledge on pepper spray. I know what we use for crowd control and such and, and how much it hurts and how long it hurts the other stuff out there on the civilian market i don't know if it's as potent or, or not i've never been hit by it I really don't know well you, you probably dealt with pepper spray a little bit more than i have yeah we uh we do have pepper spray as one of our uh, options that, that we carry the advantage of a pepper spray over a uh, a mace or you know cncs gas is that it's all natural if you were to be kind of locked in a room and you keep pumping pepper spray into the room it's going to suck for you but it's never going to unless you have some kind of allergy to, to peppers which i'm not sure uh, i'm sure somebody must have but uh it's not going to kill you whereas with uh the chemical stuff it can you know if you keep pumping that you get too much of that it can kill you. So even on the the tactical side, we don't uh, you know we don't use CN and CS gas. We just uh, go all pepper spray because you don't have to at some point make an entry into somewhere because you put a lethal concentration into a room. You can just basically keep uh, keep gassing. But uh, the kind that we carry, I don't particularly I don't like pepper spray. Uh, I'm one of those people that it seems like you know certain people they get sprayed with pepper spray in 10 minutes they're feeling back to normal uh, i'm not one of those people i'm more in the 30 to 45 minute range before i can you know feel that i'm free of the effects but by the same token we do training where generally the, it's kind of a two-step process the first process is you just kind of get sprayed with it and you see how much it sucks and then you run to a bucket of water and a hose and, and clean yourself up but uh, before we before any of us go out on the road we have kind of the second level of training which is where you get get exposed to the pepper spray again but this time before you get to go to the bucket or the hose uh, we'll have you we'll make you do some things like uh, we'll have a person in a fist suit which is kind of a big padded suit you know we may have you do some some baton strikes with a uh, a training baton we'll have a person there with a striking bag we'll have you do some some palm heel strikes maybe some elbow strikes knee strikes have you draw your your red gun or your blue gun and find a a bad guy that's around somewhere and give um, basically felony commands, get them into a prone position where you can handcuff them. And once you've done kind of all those things, then the drill's over and then you get uh, you get to go to the water and the hose. And the whole purpose for that is just to show you that as bad as pepper spray sucks, uh, you can fight your way through that pepper spray if you're motivated enough to do it. And it, it's kind of twofold training. It shows you that you can fight your way through it. But it also serves as a reminder that it's not a, a can of magic stop spray. Bad guys 
can fight their way through it too. And, you know, some of them will have the advantage of being high on drugs or drunk. They may not you know, they're probably not feeling it at the same level that you are. So definitely a good tool to have, but it's also something that you don't want to, you know, I wouldn't rely on that as my only, uh, my only option, uh, because there's some people that it, it just doesn't work on. They yeah, don't have the same effect. Yeah. Ours is what we do is very similar for like our, uh, non-lethal drain. You know, we, I forget the concentration, very high concentration. The word, I'm probably going to say it wrong too. Like Ocellaris capsicum, what we call OC, just a high concentration of OC in spray. Comes in a big red can, looks like a fire extinguisher. You get hit with that. You have to sprint about 50 yards, find a baton, fight off multiple attackers. Then you'll run and fight a guy in a red man suit and run around and do some kind of uh, exercises, sprint a little bit further, find a firearm, talk someone into a handcuffing position, go handcuff someone, and then go back to your baton and take someone down with the baton using a baton you know takedown technique and then uh flex cuff them then you're you're done and you can go to the water hose you know the biggest pansies out there run through this thing and they're fired up when they're done you know everybody's you know hating life because this stuff hurts for hours and sometimes days but you can fight through it man if you're just you got a little bit of a warrior spirit you can definitely fight through it especially if you got a nice case of adrenaline or some kind of other mind-altering drug or alcohol it's gonna make that even more strong yeah don't think just because you hit them with the pepper spray that oh i win i got him with pepper spray especially if he's already pissed off and determined to fight uh, chances are he may not just go ahead and give up right then yeah i think um you know before the uh the feedback comes in i think you may have given the japanese pronunciation for oc uh, we call it oleoresin capsicum over here in the states so yes yeah, see told you i'd probably say it wrong that's why i call that's why i call it oc that's why we like acronyms in the marine corps so we don't have to say things properly and there's all kinds of stuff about... Wait a second. You, you just Googled it and read the pronunciation off Wikipedia. Don't act like you already knew it. Yeah, that's why I'm so quiet while you talk is <laughs> that I'm looking all this stuff up. I'm trying to keep you honest. <laughs> all right. But you've got, uh, you know, all kinds of Scoville heat units and stuff. I haven't I haven't been sprayed with a pepper spray that, that hasn't worked. So I don't, I don't get too wrapped up into one million... 2 million heat units. I mean, it kind of all sucks. And uh, I think whatever, you know, whatever stuff you can buy, as long as you're, you know, you're buying it at a, uh, I don't know, a gun store or, and I guess, you know, one thing we should probably mention is check with your local laws about pepper spray, because, you know, for example, where I live, we can go down to Walmart and buy it. Um, however, some, some states it's illegal yep. to possess without, uh, you know, for example, Massachusetts, you need an FID card. So check your local laws before you get yourself into trouble carrying pepper spray if you're not allowed to. I think any any uh, any reputable place that you buy your stuff from is going to have a pepper spray that's going to work just as well as any other. So um, now that we've uh, hit pepper spray, you want to move into another piece of equipment that I'm pretty sure we both carry. Uh, flashlight? A flashlight, exactly. Yeah. Right now... Uh, I've, I mean, I've carried Surefires and Insight Technologies. Right now, I'm carrying a little Streamlight. It's a ProTech 2L. It uh, runs on two of those CR123 batteries. And the reason I went with this one is that it's pretty inexpensive. I, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 60 bucks. Got a, uh, you know, it's metal construction, got a little pocket clip, got the uh, push the button a little ways, it comes on, but it doesn't stay on, push all the way and you can click it to, to permanent on and so forth. But it's also, I mean, it's one of those things similar to um, to running the knife is you know, once you start carrying a small flashlight on you, you find all kinds of reasons to use the thing, not just shining in bad guy's eyes to to disorient them, but it just seems like one of those tools that, you know, you're always reaching for, you know, trying to find something in the back of a closet or, 
you know, under the hood or wherever, you know, whatever you have to be working on. But that being said, it is a, uh, does have some good advantages as part of your, uh, everyday carry system. You know, first of all, it, it is a little, depending on the size you get, you know, you kind of have a, a fist size cylinder of metal that you can carry on to airplanes and so forth. It's, you, know, you might not be able to bring your knife onto the plane past TSA, but uh, flashlights are, are still legal. I have heard some people that, um, I don't know if it's true or not, but they've said that they've got into, or they've had issues with TSA when they try and bring on the ones that, uh, the flashlights that are, you know, called the, if it's got some name on it, like a Skull Crusher 1000 or whatever, and it's got all the like really, really heavy knurlings on the front and the back. Yeah, there are issues with those and the defense pins that have those. Some defense pins are, are okay mm-hmm. to carry it through TSA, but the ones that have those corrugations, I don't think that's the right word, but yeah, I know you're like in the front of the. Uh, yeah, so the front and the back. Yeah. Uh, knurlings or, uh, yeah, crenellated or something. That might be the word I'm looking for, yep. Yeah. See, we. We got away with, we corrected the OC, but I'm sure we'll get some feedback on what the actual word is for those things at the front. But this particular streamlight, it's, it's got some, I would almost call them like relief cuts. They're, they're, but they're not, they're not sharp or anything. So it doesn't look too threatening. There's nothing on this flashlight that says, you know, defensive or skull crusher or anything like that. So it's a pretty, uh, looks like a pretty benign piece of, uh, piece of kit. And this one I, has been on a couple planes without any issue at all. Cool. Yeah. I carry right now. I've got a couple of sure I've got the old classic metal one that is really bright or great. Uh, you drop it a couple times and the bulb's dead. You got to put a new bulb in it. Uh, but I also have a Surefire G2 that I, I usually keep on my gear. When I'm at home, it comes out and sits on my desk because my power goes out here quite often for some reason. Those Surefire G2s, I carry it on my gear because it's pretty bright. It's not the brightest Surefire out there, but uh, it costs like 40 bucks. You can't beat it for uh, for the price, and it can take a beating. You know, I've had this thing. It's gotten wet, been in puddles, been out in the rain for hours. It doesn't mind. You know, it's a it's a good little light, especially for the money. That's what I like. There's um other good options out there for actually weapon lights too. I think for a lot of different scenarios, you might not want to only have that weapon light, but maybe have that in addition to your handheld light. I'm also uh, you can get the uh, TLR one, which I'm a fan of. Which you can get one of the older ones for like eighty bucks now. Even the LED version for just a little bit more than that, or right around that price. Those are really good lights, and you can spend a lot of money and get the uh, Surefire, like the X three hundred, and there's a lot of other options out there for for weapon lights. And there's a lot of good ones out there. I think one thing to remember though, whenever you're carrying a flashlight, if I'm going to use uh, a technique to where I'm firing one handed and I've got my light in my other hand or something similar to that, I want to have a lanyard or something on that light. And you maybe have time to get your hand in that lanyard, stick your hand in your pocket. You know something's getting ready to happen, and you put put that lanyard around your wrist and in your hand. Now that light's not going to have to go away when you change magazines. Uh, you can concentrate on just magazine changes or reloads, uh, and that light, just grab it back whenever you're done because it's still hanging around your wrist there. Or practice changing magazines with that light still in your hand, which can be done. Something you might want to practice from time to time in the dark. Yeah, you... Um one thing I didn't mention, but um, fortunately the prices have come way down on like the LED flashlights. I really, uh, really prefer that now over the incandescents, just because you know I do drop this thing, and uh, it's nice that the bulb's not busting every time I drop it on the ground and having to be swapped out. Yeah, they can take a lot of a lot of shock, and they don't care as much about getting blinked on and off constantly if you're going to pulse it. So mm-hmm. not something you got to worry about there either. Now, since you just mentioned that, do you uh, like do you use a strobe? 
feature on any of your lights, or is that a big deal to you? Uh, if I have a rifle-mounted light, I would strobe it myself. Or if I had, it, if I can just push a button and strobe and then just, just turn it off completely, I would I would do that. For a hand-mounted light, I like to keep mine to where when I push the button in the back, it lights up, so it's not constantly on. I decide every time it goes on and decide when it goes off by putting pressure on it or releasing pressure. That way I get to decide. And if I do want to pulse it, I can. If I want to shine it on something that I see over there in the corner, I hit it. Uh, or if I want to shine it down this alley or whatever, you know, I can hit my button. Uh, it's no big deal. And then it's turned right back off. So now I'm undetectable again. So I, I, I wouldn't recommend leaving it on, going from shining from one position to the other if you're in kind of tactical scenario. Pulsing does a pretty good job. We used to use that when I was doing a lot of... Uh, like direct action type uh, room clearing and, and taking down buildings and crisis sites and such. Going through the objective with a, a pulsing light. If you can't see anything, just pulse your light at it real quick. And as you're moving, as we're constantly moving, it has that strobe light effect. So it's, if you are, you know, encountering a bad guy, it's going to be, it's kind of like shooting somebody in a club and you're trying to follow them and they just, you think they're going this speed, but they're not. You can never really get to, can tell exactly the speed they're going. That kind of also works both ways as well. And uh, you'll only have one guy hitting that light and that stack too. But, you know, they're a different story altogether, techniques with the light. But for an individual, you know, it just that light works both ways. They see where it's coming from and, you know, you can see where it's shining. Keep that in mind. Yeah, I think we may have hit upon a future topic there. I think, um, you know, just, you know, lights in their use, you know, it's not just uh, it's not just a easy turn the flashlight on, look for bad guys and stuff. There is a lot of, you know, kind of technique-specific things that you can do correctly or do wrong with your flashlight. Uh, it's definitely something you want to receive some uh, good training on. Yep. So what else you carry? Hmm. Um, that's, I mean, that's most of my daily stuff. I'm trying to think if there's any, you know, other than, uh, you know, the usual wallets and stuff. I don't have any, uh, any gold pieces sewn into my belt or anything. I don't have a knife or a gun belt buckle or anything either. If I had one, I'd probably wear it. <laughs> Why not? You know, yeah. I, I keep in my vehicle though. I keep an ass baton, and mm -hmm. I don't know if everybody's allowed to have those. It just depends on you check your local laws again. Make sure you're allowed to have that. Uh, same thing as that knife and that pistol. You got to know how to use that baton. You have me training on that and training with it. If you don't know how to use that thing, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. One by you know certain strikes. A lot of different strikes. Just by doing those strikes uh, is deadly force. It's the same as you shooting them with your gun. It's just as deadly. You will get charged with that. So I would say knowing how to use that in a non-lethal manner if you need to and, you know, what constitutes its, you know, when it's being used in a lethal manner, uh, which doesn't take very much. So just because uh, you remember, you know, uh, lethal force is that force which a person uses to cause death or serious bodily or. So if it's if they're gonna get some kind of serious bodily harm, you know, by you hitting busting kneecaps or something like that, that's considered serious bodily damage. So just gotta be careful with that. But it's it's a good tool to use to have, and uh, I think for in your vehicle. For me personally, I also have my vehicle a, a first aid kit, uh, a few other items, you know, survivalish type items, you know, take care of myself and family if I'm out somewhere and I'm stuck there. In my vehicle, uh, definitely have a first aid kit. I think that's important. Anytime if you're firing rounds or someone else is firing rounds, lives are in danger. Someone can get hurt. And if someone gets hurt, especially if it's a family member or someone around, it'd be really nice to not be standing there with just trying to apply pressure to something with some napkins that you have around because you're at a gas station or whatever. It'd be really nice to have a, a nice little kit with you so you can actually do some effective emergency medicine right there on the spot. Yeah, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking something else that uh, I think both of us carry around that, um, you know, sometimes might, might be overlooked, just basically the fact that we carry around some training in um, unarmed combat kind of stuff, uh, defensive tactics, uh, in my case, uh, some Krav Maga. Uh, I've had some 
you know, some other martial arts training and so forth. But it's definitely, I think it's something that, that you want to have available to you um, because not every scenario out there can you fix with a firearm. Yeah, I'm always concerned about um, the people I see that, you know, they just carry a firearm. They think that, uh, you know, that's all they need. And if, if anything happens to them, they're going to feel their life is threatened and potentially engage them with a firearm. Or, I mean, even worse, you know, they're going to take out the firearm, see if they can scare the person away. You know, it's definitely something you want to have more than one option in your in your own personal force continuum. And, you know, having some skills with kind of unarmed combat is, in some cases, going to be a lot more effective than uh, maybe even, even a better weapon system that's going to take you a second to two seconds to deploy. I mean, if somebody's really close to you and... Uh, you know, all of a sudden there's a knife there. If you try and take the time to draw your pistol and shoot that person, you're probably already going to be, have been stabbed three or four times by the time you get shots on target. Even though you'd like to respond with deadly force, you may find that some type of unarmed technique is going to serve you better to try and take care of that problem quicker rather than taking more time. And, you know, it doesn't even have to be a knife. I mean, you know, think you're, you're going to reach in your back pocket and grab your pepper spray. Well, if, you know, you've been hit three times in the face while you're reaching back to do that, you may not ever make it to your pepper spray. So uh, definitely don't want to, you know, we talked about a lot of stuff as far as tools and so forth, but, you know, you want to exercise that, uh, the mental tool, the brain, and have other options available to you that don't, that don't necessarily rely on, uh, you know, don't rely on a particular piece of gear. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, if something happens, you can't carry your firearm with you or uh, you can't carry a knife with you or you forget your knife at home and it's not there. If you have some training and you have that, you know, one, a mental mindset uh, that you're prepared to, to do what you need to do uh, and you've trained hand-to-hand or just unarmed uh, type fighting, you're. I find that whenever some, whenever I'm really training hard, hand to hand, like unarmed stuff, then uh, my awareness just goes up a lot. My confidence goes up. And I think that's important. I think the key thing here is like you, the, the examples that you gave. We got to be able to create distance at sometimes. And I've been in a lot more unarmed fights with other people than I have gunfights with other people. And I think most people can say the same thing. So based on that, chances are, you know, we're probably going to get in that unarmed fight before we would, you know, a gunfight. So we should train just as much, if not more, at unarmed combat. And I think something that goes along with that is what we're going to talk about in this show. We'll talk about at a later date. We decided we'll, we'll, we'll save it for later. You know, being mentally and physically fit, you know, it's, uh, sometimes the best option is run as fast as you can. If you can't do that, that's no longer an option for you. you know, I'm not saying that you're worthless just because you can't run. I'm just saying you just lost an option. You know, it could be a, a knee injury or whatever. Now you got to think about what else can you do. And if that's staying your ground and fight, then you might want to be good at that. Sounds good. Cool. Well, that's pretty much all I got for what I carry. I'm sure we'll think of 20 things after we finish talking about it. And uh, I say bye to John, and he'll text me and tell me that he thought of like things we should have talked about. And I will too. If you have any comments on things that you carry, uh, those tools that we mentioned, whatever tool it is that you have, those are your safety tools. Uh, email us and let us know what you carry. We'd like to hear about it and talk about it on the show and our next shows uh, or the one after that's feedback segment. But we're going to take a little quick break and we will be right back. Well, yeah, it's getting tough out there. Yeah, no doubt. I work in home invasions mostly. Uh, some murder, uh, occasional rape if she's hot. <laughs> uh, and I'm a huge advocate of gun control. Absolutely. Uh, competition is stiff and it, it doesn't help 
that every time I kick in a door or smash a window, that I face the possibility of being shot and killed. Listen, the fact is, allowing citizens to own guns creates a hostile work environment for me and my associates. Uh, no one should have to work under, under those conditions. Uh, I say make them all illegal. Absolutely. Make all gun ownership illegal. I mean, I break the law for a living. I'm a professional, so it doesn't really bother me. <clears throat> I mean, but personally, knowing that most homeowners don't have guns, uh, that would make me a lot more comfortable, uh, more confident, and it would surely increase productivity. No doubt. No doubt. Your local violent criminals work hard and put their lives on the line every time they attempt to murder, rape, abduct, or assault a member of the citizenry. They desperately need your help. With your support, there may finally come a day when a violent criminal can have his way with you or someone you love without the fear, anxiety, and stress caused by knowing there's a possibility his victim might be armed. Please show your support by voting for stronger anti-gun legislation because criminals prefer unarmed citizens. Hi, welcome back to Gun Cast. I'm still your host, Daniel Shaw, and I'm still with my co-host, John McGregor. The National Reciprocity Act, H.R. 822, passed last November through the Congress. It's just been sitting in the Senate, going nowhere the whole time. Just want to urge you guys out there and gals, contact your senators and uh, urge them to start pushing this thing through. Let's get it on the docket. Let's get it moving through. Let's get the Senate to vote on this thing. Have it pass. So you got your concealed carry permit in whatever state that you have. Carry everywhere else, too. We need this. Uh, the people want it. So let's make it happen. Contact those senators today. And... Don't forget to follow us on Facebook. Uh, we've got a pretty active Facebook page, uh, Twitter as well, and we're still working on getting some more. Not sure what you call them on Google, if they're still followers or whatever, but I've uh, been getting more and more people every day following on Google+, so we uh, appreciate that, and we uh, look forward to your feedback on those uh, systems as well. Yeah, you got to follow us on Google+, because every once in a while, me and John just hop on there and do a hangout. And people start joining. Last time we did, it was quite entertaining. We had uh, some drunk folks from the middle of the night in the U.S. on, and we had uh, some people from Yemen and all over the place join us. And we ended up having to leave. But um, we will do that in the future, and we'll you know broadcast entire shows on there, uh, get it to where we can actually record and have conversations with listeners and do live shows on there, uh, either through Google Plus or some other venue. But Google Plus is where it's at right now for that type of thing. So come join us and. Come participate with us at the Gunfighter Cast Forum at GunRightsRadio.com. And while you're there, check out the other podcasts on the Gun Rights Radio Network. And uh, one artist, formerly a member of the Gun Rights Radio Network, Ken Blanchard, old buddy of mine, actually mentored me at the very beginning when I was starting the podcasting, introduced me to the Gun Rights Radio Network and Mark Vanderberg. I haven't mentioned him in a while. I was listening to his show uh, yesterday, listened to a few episodes, and figured I would uh, give old Ken a plug. If you're not listening to the Urban Shooter podcast... Need to get over there. This guy's doing all kinds of stuff. Really good show. He calls it a pro gun variety show because each show does have a lot of variety. 
so go check out Ken Blanchard over there at the Urban Shooter. I was just going to say we got a, uh, a mention on the Shooting the Breeze podcast. Uh, I want to thank Walt recommending people listen to, I think it was the OODA Loop episode he uh, used in one of his featured content segments. So thanks to Walt. Appreciate it. Yep, thanks for that. And make sure you join the NRA, Second Amendment Foundation, and your local groups in your area uh, to help maintain these rights. If anybody wants to comment on this show or anything else or ask any questions, uh, if you want to participate in any way, you can email me at daniel at gunfightercast.com or john at john at gunfightercast.com or just email one of us and we'll share. All right. Sounds good. Until next time, be safe. Gunfightercast out.